Mark chapter 14. I will be reading verses 53 through 72. Though the sermon will be on verses 66 to 72. Here, for this is the word of the Lord. And they led Jesus to the high priest. And all the chief priests and the elders and the scribes came together. And Peter had followed him at a distance, right into the courtyard of the high priest. And he was sitting with the guards and warming himself at the fire. Now the chief priests and the whole council were seeking testimony against Jesus to put him to death, but they found none. For many bore false witness against him, but their testimony did not agree. And some stood up and bore false witness against him, saying, We heard him say, I will destroy this temple that is made with hands, and in three days I will build another not made with hands. Yet even about this their testimony did not agree. And the high priest stood up in the midst and asked Jesus, Have you no answer to make? What is it that these men testify against you? But he remained silent and made no answer. Again the high priest asked him, Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed? And Jesus said, I am. And you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. And the high priest tore his garments and said, What further witnesses do we need? You have heard his blasphemy. What is your decision? And they all condemned him as deserving death. And some began to spit on him and to cover his face and to strike him, saying to him, Prophesy. And the guards received him with blows. And as Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came. And seeing Peter warming himself, she looked at him and said, You also were with the Nazarene Jesus. But he denied it, saying, I neither know nor understand what you mean. And he went out into the gateway, and the rooster crowed. And the servant girl saw him and began again to say to the bystanders, This man is one of them. But again he denied it. And after a little while, the bystanders again said to Peter, Certainly you are one of them, for you are a Galilean. But he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know this man of whom you speak. And immediately the rooster crowed a second time. And Peter remembered how Jesus had said to him, Before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And he broke down and wept. Thanks be to God for his holy word. May the Lord bless the reading and preaching of his word this morning. If we look back at the Gospel of Mark, we see that there is a profound master-disciple relationship between Jesus and Peter. Peter would make the first public confession that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus would then declare, I tell you, you are Peter, or Cephas, which means rock. And on this rock, I will build my church. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And this is fulfilled in the first 12 chapters of the book of Acts. As Peter led the charge for the church in proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. So the church was built on Peter's ministry. Peter was the leader of the apostles. But he was also wrought 
with failures as is evident in the scriptures. And unfortunately, what we remember most about Peter is not his faith. It's not his faithfulness to the preaching of the gospel. But what we remember most about Peter is his denial of Jesus Christ. Isn't that how it works? We tend to remember the bad things people do rather than the good. One scandal could ruin someone's entire life and reputation. Now we began by reading verses 53 to 65 for the sake of context, but specifically verse 54 because it is the setting or the background of our text. Verse 66 picks up where verse 54 left off. So we can assume that what was happening here with Peter was happening simultaneously with what was happening with Jesus as he stood before the council. And we find ourselves right after Jesus was praying in the Garden of Gethsemane. He was praying to his Father that if he was willing, that he would remove the cup of wrath from him. Yet, he says, not what I will, but what you will. Then Jesus is betrayed and arrested, and all of his disciples flee, all flee, including Peter. Peter was the same disciple who couldn't accept the fact that Jesus was to be handed over and killed, saying rather confidently, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. He would even try to prevent it by cutting off the servant of the high priest's ear as he tried to arrest Jesus. He is the same disciple who, when Jesus foretold that they would all fall away, he said to Jesus, even though they all fall away, I will not. If I must die with you, I will not deny you. Peter vowed to follow Jesus. And so he did, in a way. Soon after he fled from the scene where Jesus was being arrested by the officers and Roman soldiers, Peter circles back around and follows Jesus. His confidence was still there, but maybe a bit tempered now. Because Peter continued to follow him for sure, but now at a distance, at a safe distance. The bold and confident Peter was no longer so bold and confident when the rubber met the road. He was no longer following Jesus as one who would die with Jesus. When the trouble came and the prospects of his own death was right in front of his face, he backed off. Jesus taught his disciples that if anyone would come after him, let him take up his cross and follow him. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for Christ's sake will find it. So if we were to make this entire passage all about Peter's failure then we would notice a few things about Peter that would be true of all of us as sinners at some point or another. Peter not only followed at a safe distance, but he also walked into the courtyard of the high priest Caiaphas and tried to blend in as he sat with the guards and warmed himself at the fire. Yes, he was following Jesus, but he chose to stay safe and comfortable. Sound familiar, doesn't it? He tried to remain hidden. He said, yes, I'll follow Jesus. Yes, I believe in Jesus, but only when it benefits me. 
because he loved himself. Instead of losing his life, he was trying to preserve his life. And when he was confronted with the fact that he was one of Jesus' disciples to further preserve his life, he denied Jesus three times, all before the rooster crowed twice. And it says at that point, Peter remembered how Jesus had said to him, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And what did Peter do at that point? He broke down and wept out of remorse for denying his Savior before men. He must have also remembered what Jesus told him. So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I also will deny before my Father who is in heaven. So he felt conviction after remembering his word. And that is the pattern for every Christian, isn't it? And many of us experience sorrow at different levels when the Holy Spirit convicts our conscience and we rightly weep and mourn over our failures and sins. So in a way, this is a common Christian experience. But this weeping would not last too long. A few days later, he will rejoice and return to Jesus. Remember, this is the difference between Judas and Peter. It is the difference between a believer and an unbeliever. A believer's sorrow over sin leads to repentance. While the unbeliever's sorrow is a worldly sorrow that leads to death. A believer's sorrow leads him to place his hope outside of himself as he places his ultimate hope in Jesus, while the unbeliever's sorrow leads him inwardly to rely on himself and his own efforts. Because later Peter would repent and turn to Jesus. He was brought low so that he would be later picked up. He was emptied of himself so that he would be filled with Jesus, which is a pattern for us all. His weeping would one day turn to joy as he would be forgiven in Christ. But is this all this text was put here to show us? Is this here only to reveal to us our own failures and how maybe we need to pull ourselves up by our bootstraps? So that we would never deny Jesus? Is this all that Mark was trying to relate to us? Well, that is why it is important that we consider the whole context. As we consider verses 66 to 72, we should first again recognize that what Mark recounts here with Peter is happening at the same time as Jesus is facing the council. They were at two different locations in Caiaphas' home. See, the homes of the elites in Jerusalem were built much like southern European homes. His home would have been a large square building. And the entrance would have been a gate that led to a courtyard before you get to the house. The house would have been a two-floor building with a balcony. Uh, Somewhere along that balcony, there would have been an entrance to a room where Jesus was believed to be as he stood before Caiaphas and the chief priests, elders, and scribes. And Peter was below in the courtyard, looking up to see and listen to what was going on. 
So while Jesus is being tried and questioned, what happens to Peter? Well, he is tried and questioned. So what Mark is doing here is not just revealing our sinful nature or what we need to avoid, but he is also contrasting Jesus with Peter. He contrasts two men who are both accused and under the pressure of scrutiny. He contrasts Jesus' response to the trial and Peter's response to his trial. In other words, there are two trials going on at the same time, and the outcomes are total opposites. We have covered Jesus' trial, and now we have come to the trial of Peter. Well, who was his accuser? It was not the chief priests, scribes, or elders of Jerusalem. It was not one who holds authority or status, but a servant girl who served Caiaphas. She saw Peter warming himself, and maybe from the fire shining on his face, she recognized him. She most likely saw him in the temple when Jesus was teaching there. So she looked at him and said, You also were with the Nazarene, Jesus. But he denied it, saying, I neither know nor understand what you mean. And in order to hide from her, maybe in the darkness away from the fire, he tried to leave the courtyard toward the gate. And as Jesus foretold, the rooster crowed the first time. You think he would have noticed or woke up at this point. But the servant girl, as she was probably going in the same direction, saw him again and began to say to others who were watching the trial, this man is one of them. But again, he denied it. At this point, Peter most likely made his way back into the courtyard to keep an eye on Jesus' trial, while a jury of his peers, that is the bystanders that the servant girl spoke with, said to Peter as they recognized him, Certainly you are one of them, for you are a Galilean. This reveals that there were those who once walked with Jesus that have now turned on him as well. Now listen to Peter's unthinkable response. But he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know this man of whom you speak. Peter, who was once ready to go to prison and die with Jesus, denies him three times. And immediately the rooster crowed a second time. At this time, Luke records that the Lord turned and looked at Peter. Peter looked into the eyes of his Savior right after he denied him three times. Peter looked into his eyes, which I'm certain was filled with compassion and forgiveness for Peter while Peter was failing him. And Peter remembered how Jesus said to him, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And he broke down and wept. What a difference between Peter's response and Jesus' response. So let us reflect on the contrasts here. First, Peter is truly accused, while Jesus was falsely accused. Peter was one of his disciples, so their accusations were true. 
While Jesus was standing there before a false court, being charged with false accusations. They were making stuff up to get him killed. Uh, They would eventually falsely accuse him of blasphemy, which is punishable by death. While Peter will get away scot-free right after he blasphemes. Who is guilty of blasphemy here? Jesus or Peter? Remember in his last denial. But he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear. I do not know this man of whom you speak. This curse was like a vow that we would make before God. Jesus warned about making false oaths and vows because it is equivalent to blasphemy. So Jesus is charged with blasphemy when he never blasphemed God. He only spoke the truth. While Peter would lie and blaspheme. Jesus was innocent, but Peter was guilty. And that is another contrast. Secondly, Jesus would stand his ground, tell the truth, and endure suffering while Peter lied so that he could escape. Jesus is going to face punishment for someone else's sins while Peter would escape scot-free all the while he was guilty of sin. Sound familiar? Isn't that the Christian? Isn't that a description of the believer? Christ is innocent While we were still sinners, while we were still weak, Christ died for the ungodly. Christ died for us. So he was standing there in Peter's place while Peter would escape. Also, Christ never denied his father. He submitted to his father's will while Peter denied his Lord three times. So we can say that Peter did what anyone would do in the heat of the moment. This is indeed here to show us that even the bravest of us stumble and fall. This reveals to us human frailty and sin. Also, this is a contrast between Jesus and everyone else. Peter represents sinners who are forgiven because of what Christ had to endure. Christ was standing there in Peter's place, in our place, condemned and guilty While Peter escapes. Because beloved though Peter is the subject of this passage. This passage is not about Peter and his failure. But it is truly all about Jesus and his success. In the face of human failure, sin and disappointment. We are to remember Jesus as he was being tried at the same time. He stood there as the representative of all who come to believe in him. He stood condemned so that Peter would not be condemned by God. This was to show us that Peter or any one of us could not stand in Jesus' shoes as the only substitute for sin. This was to show us the contrast between Jesus and not only Peter, but everyone else who has ever lived. We know even the godliest men of Scripture had failures and sins. Peter wasn't the only one. All others have fallen away. And this began with Adam. 
Think of when Adam sinned. He tried to hide himself from God, similar to how Peter sought to hide himself in the darkness of the night. And when Adam sinned, all sinned. Sin came into the world through one man, and so it was through one man that would come everlasting life. All are fallen, even those who were types of Christ. Think of Noah, how he saved his family in the ark, yet he fell to drunkenness. Abraham believed God, and it was counted as righteousness, yet he was guilty of lying. David, the great king of Israel, the man after God's own heart, yet he was guilty of adultery and murder. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, except one. All have denied Christ by our actions at some point or another. While contrast this with how Jesus was perfectly obedient. Christ never denied his father and obeyed his father's will to the point of death, even death on a cross. Why? While Jesus was standing there, as Paul says, For our sake God made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And how do we know that we have sinned? Well, because the law has revealed it to us. The law not only shows us what we are responsible for, but it also reveals to us what we have failed to do. When we remember the word of God and we are convicted and made sorrowful, we must also remember what Paul tells us. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. That's what he was standing there for. While at the same time, Peter denies ever knowing him. So what we must see here is not just Peter's denial isolated from the context, but we see Peter's denial in light of Christ's obedience. We see Peter's faithlessness in light of Christ's faithfulness. And the same goes for us. Because we should ask ourselves at this point, what is our hope? In light of what Peter has done, how do we know we have any hope? Think of the stature of Peter. Peter was the leader of the group. He was Jesus' closest disciple, a very bold and confident disciple. He may have been the bravest of the disciples. If he failed then what hope do we have to gain victory? Well, that's the point here. It is not about Peter. It is not about his strength or his weaknesses and his confidence. And it is not about you. It is about Christ and what he has done for you and what he is doing in you. And if there's forgiveness for Peter, so there is forgiveness for you. Peter is representing the failure of mankind at meeting the standards of the law. And this failure should draw our minds back to Christ's success. Because it is through Christ's success in his life, death, and resurrection that we who are guilty are once and for all made innocent despite our failures. Because in ourselves we can never meet the demands of the law. We can never be truly and absolutely faithful to Christ. 
He has satisfied the demands of the law and took on the wrath that we so deserve. In his suffering, he has sealed our forgiveness. And now we are counted as righteous before God. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. One act of righteousness which began that night. Peter failed, just like Adam failed, just like we fail. But Jesus didn't fail. So that his righteousness would now be accounted to us. And all that is Christ's now becomes ours. We are righteous because Christ was righteous. Not because we meet the standards of righteousness. Peter obviously would have nothing to claim for himself after this evening. Later, Peter is forgiven as Jesus foretold. Jesus knew that Peter would fail. But Jesus would be the reason why he doesn't completely fail to the point of unbelief. Jesus knew that Peter will one day be restored because it is Jesus who restores him. He tells him, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, Peter, when you realize what you have done, that you have denied me three times, Turn to me again for forgiveness and strengthen your brothers. With what? The good news of what Jesus has done for them. Later, after he goes through the suffering of the cross, after he is raised from the dead, an angel told the woman at the tomb to go, tell the disciples, and he sets Peter apart, tell the disciples and Peter that he is going before them to Galilee as he promised them before. And there they will meet and eat together. And Peter will confess that he loves Jesus three times. So, after Jesus forgives and restores Peter, he commanded him, feed my sheep. And that's what Peter would do as he became a powerful preacher of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Feeding the sheep the good news of a Savior who stood condemned and suffered for our salvation. Beloved, we should feel the weight of our sin on our conscience. But when we do, we find a call in His Word that says, Come to Christ by faith. Confess your failures and your sins. Receive His free forgiveness and rest in Him. He is your only hope. See, what this text is showing us is that Peter is not the hope of the world. Your pastor is not the hope of the world. Your role models or your public leaders are not the hopes of the world. Only Jesus Christ, our Lord, is the hope of the world. So this good news ought to lift our burdens It should cause us to gaze outside of ourselves and above to Christ where all that is His is now ours. Our eyes should always be drawn to the whole Christ for He is our gospel, good news for us. So this good news ought to produce certain fruits in us. And I have just a few here. First, this good news 
ought to produce hope in the midst of our failures. If Peter failed, who we can say was probably the strongest of all the disciples, and he was forgiven, then we may be forgiven. Set your sights on Christ, for his compassion is never ceasing for those who turn to him. Secondly, this good news ought to produce joy instead of weeping. When Peter looked into the eyes of his Savior and remembered his words, he broke down and wept. This ought to be the reaction of all sinners who look upon and sense the holiness of Christ and the sinfulness of ourselves. But if we keep our gaze toward Christ, if we continue to look to Him, the darkness of our sin in ourselves will fade away. And the beauty and the light of Christ will dispel all of our darkness. Later, there would be rejoicing when Peter realized what Jesus had come to do and what he had accomplished. He would marvel when he went to the empty tomb and noticed that Jesus wasn't there. Then later he would throw himself into the sea when he noticed that Jesus was on the shore of Galilee waiting for them as they were fishing. As he promised. Our joy ought to be found in our Savior who keeps his promises even when we fail him and that one day we can be confident to look for him on the shore of the river of life waiting for us. For he does not turn his back on us. He will not deny us those who confess him. In fact, he went through the suffering including watching one of his most beloved disciples deny him three times so that he would never deny us before the throne of God. Also, thirdly, this good news should produce growth in grace, holiness, and righteousness. Because being exposed to our failures and receiving the free grace of Christ does not leave us where we are. If we are grounded in the grace of Christ, then there will be fruits. In fact, Christ was an example for how the Christian ought to live, knowing that many loved ones may deny ever being associated with us. Or they may turn their backs on us because they don't want to be associated with a bigoted Christian. They want to join the crowd and blend in. They don't want to lose any friends because they walked closely with you at some point or another and even professed faith at one point or another. Yeah, I believe in Jesus. But I don't want to give up my sin. I I can follow at a safe distance. Why go to church? And then the world became much more appealing and then they completely fell away. This is what we see in the world every day from many who profess to believe in Jesus but never truly follow him. All the while, we are still called and strengthened to love them just as Christ loved Peter. Listen to Paul as he wrote this from prison, writing to a church located in a place where he had suffered much shame. He says, Indeed, I count everything as loss. This would include all worldly associations he once enjoyed. 
Because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things. And count them as rubbish. Refuse. Dung. That is all things that would compete with Christ. In order that I may gain Christ. And be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own. That comes from the law. Not based on my obedience to the law. But that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection. And may share his sufferings. Which would include this denial, mind you. Becoming like him in his death. That by any means possible. I may attain the resurrection from the dead. So that lastly, this good news ought to produce boldness. So that we may profess Christ to the world. So that we may proclaim the one who ever forgives those who once denied him. And emboldens and strengthens us for his service. Because the Christian is not bold in proclamation because of our own strength. Or our own personalities. You hear that often. Oh, he has a very bold personality. He proclaims Christ because that's just who he is. Well, no. Peter was bold. He had a strong personality. Yet, he came to his end here. Until he met with great adversity. See, we are bold because Christ is working in us to make us bold. We ought to pray for this boldness when true adversity comes knocking at our door. In the early church, there were many who denied Christ out of fear of persecution. But many of them returned later on and many were received into the fold once again when they were later emboldened by Christ. There was an acknowledgement that Christ forgives sinners just as he forgave Peter. And later Peter was restored and empowered to preach the gospel without fear of persecution. And he would confess him much more than three times later on. We ought to remember that when we consider our own pilgrimage and when we do fail, we ought to remember Christ and his forgiveness for sinners and how he has paid the price once and for all, including Peter and his denial. Let us rest on such a hope because it is our only hope in the midst of the darkness of our own failures. Amen.